0: I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. This moment in Luke's Gospel feels unique to me. Take a second to try and recall some other stories of healings you might remember. The man lying by the pool of Bethesda, Jesus asking him, do you wish to be made well? The woman with the flow of blood coming near to Jesus just to touch the hem of his cloak, that image in this icon in our chapel. The ten lepers by the roadside crying out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. These are just the ones that came to mind for me. There are well over two dozen healing miracles in the New Testament. Maybe others come to you. But pondering this woman bent over for 18 years, I was struck. Unlike so many of the other healing stories, she doesn't ask to be healed. There is no sign, not even a hint, that she came that morning to meet Jesus. Unlike so many other healing stories, she doesn't even come near Jesus, expressing intent through her physical proximity. Unlike So many of the other healing stories, no one in the crowd speaks up for her. No one calls Jesus' attention to her. Master, please, this woman is suffering. And unlike so many of the other healing stories, Jesus doesn't ask her why she's come. He doesn't tell her what to do. There's no take up your mat and walk. Go, show yourself to the priests, not even stand. Your faith has made you well. None of that. Jesus just sees her, calls to her, touches her, and says, Woman, you are set free from your illness. That's all. And immediately she stood up straight. Immediately she stood up straight. It's incredible to imagine, really. Immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But just as immediately the controversy is made clear, if illness doesn't bind this woman now, the law certainly does. And in so many readings of this parable, that is the moral. Judaism binds, Jesus heals. But that's not what Jesus has to say. He doesn't say, no, forget the Sabbath. No, God is breaking into the world in a new way. No, the new thing God in, is doing in me is more important than any Sabbath law, more important than any law. No, no. Jesus says, freedom is what the law of the Sabbath is all about. Freedom is what the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath commandment was given to freed slaves that people who had never before known rest would have it guaranteed to them. And that rest would be rooted in God's love and purpose for them. At the end of a week's labor, they could rest in what is most important. And that would keep them free. That rest, that worship, that connection to what mattered, to who they are and whose they are, that would keep them free. Conflict over the purpose and action of Sabbath, that's actually the same conflict that we hear in the prophet Isaiah. All the familiar, soaring promises of that text that we hear in Advent, comfort, comfort my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her penalty is paid. All that good Isaiah stuff, that comes earlier. Those promises are made to people in exile, people captive in Babylon. Today's passage from Isaiah comes later as those same exiles return to Judah. And the gift of freedom meets the messy reality of rebuilding a shattered world. The gift of freedom meets the messy reality of freedom. Because there was controversy about the meaning and purpose of the Sabbath then, too. And then, too, there was widespread suspicion of foreigners and immigrants. There was obsession with ethnic purity. There was economic exploitation of the poor by the rich. There was oppression of workers then, too. The people returning from exile resented those that they found left behind, resented them, mistrusted them. And just like that, an opportunity for a new and better life becomes the same corrupt hierarchy that enslaved the people in Babylon and before that in Egypt. All too easily, the oppressed become the oppressors. All of a sudden, the boundless freedom God is offering is limited, are human jealousy, anxiety, resentment, and greed and anxiety. It bears mentioning again, not all this limit comes from malice. All of a sudden, freedom has to have limits, not speed limits, not limits that keep us mindful of the needs and safety of others. Freedom has to have limits because we cannot imagine a world without hierarchy. We can't imagine a world where foreigners can fully belong to their new homes. We can't imagine a world where the rich and powerful have less, so that all people can have more. We can't imagine a world without winners and losers. To dare to try means we risk coming out on the bottom of that equation. Then and now, we have lost sight of what is truly possible. What is possible with the abundance of our divinely created world? What is possible with the courage of our divinely created humanity? What is possible even in one little parish church full of wonderful children? What is possible even in one little parish church from our heritage of scripture, from God's boundless grace, from blessed assurance, as the old song says, from all that a new life in Jesus Christ has to offer, we have chosen the safety of the status quo. The freedom to dream together can be an intimidating task. The freedom to dream together can be an intimidating task, particularly if we're not the ones that feel yoked, particularly if we're not the ones who feel hungry. Or if a sabbath focused on god means a missed opportunity to focus on ourselves but i do think that all of us all of us have felt what it means to be stuck maybe you have felt what it means to be hunched over your view so narrowed that relief stays out of sight maybe you have felt exhausted unsure of how to imagine a future where there's relief. Just as these scriptures challenge us to confront the ways that we fall short of God's dream for us, I think they invite us to imagine that church this morning. This morning, being together, worshiping together, seeing each other, hearing each other. We are invited right here and now to stand up straight. Right here and now. That is the tremendous gift of the church, of being in the presence of God's holiness. Like it says in Paul's letter of the Hebrews, even as we are overawed or incredulous, even as we draw near to what cannot be touched, we are on the firm ground of what cannot be shaken, even exhausted. God will not let your foot be moved, even at our most bent over, when we can't tell the difference between unseeing and unseen, that God that keeps us will not slumber nor sleep. Being people that pray together can be the beginning of our relief, rest from our weariness, courage for our faint-heartedness, purpose for our apathy. Being people who pray together is just the beginning. Because if if we can even imagine if we are the body of Christ, if we can even imagine it, how can we not feel hopeful? And how could we keep that hope to ourselves? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, St. Paul says. It is for freedom and brought us together in the promise of new life in this world and the life of the world to come. And right here is where it's meant to begin, right here and now. That each of us can find rest and healing from our own weariness known to God alone. And that together, healed together, even beginning to be healed together, hopeful together, even beginning to be hopeful together, this is the place where we can restore dignity, community, and honor to people who are wounded in all the terrible ways that the world wounds them, even people who are wounded in all the terrible ways that we wound each other. Because that is what Jesus is all about. That is what God's love for us is all about. That we can stand up straight and praise the God who sets us free and then not be afraid to bend down again to help our neighbors stand up tall with us. Amen.